Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. If you indeed have to suffer persecution for standing up for your beliefs, don't whine about it, don't cry about it, do what Peter did and count it a joy to suffer in the name of Christ. Paul said in these last days we are to be hopeful, we're to be courageous. Thirdly, we need to be productive. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, most Christians are curious about the second coming of Christ and the end of the world, but often we struggle to see how these seemingly far-off events relate to our lives right now. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains how we as Christians should be living right now in light of Earth's impending destruction. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? David, most of us would have never dreamed would ever see the day when a pandemic would take millions of lives, or that Russia would brutally attack its neighbor, or that would witness tragic violence in the sanctuary for innocent children, our public grade schools. It truly feels like we're living in the last days. Well, as your radio pastor and Bible teacher, I believe the signs for the soon return of our Lord are obvious, especially right now. And time is running out to let the world know that God loves every man and woman on earth. He has a plan, and it's a redemptive plan, if we only put our faith and trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ. This is the urgent message that fuels us at Pathway to Victory, and I suspect you share our convictions as well. For that reason, I'm calling upon every listener to join us in an all-out effort to bring light into the darkness. Your gift empowers us to shine the brilliant light of the gospel every day on this program. And today, when you give a generous gift to support Pathway to Victory, I'm absolutely thrilled to send you a brand new book called America is a Christian Nation. This exclusive gift book is filled with inspirational memories that reinforce the truth of our Christian heritage and a series of beautiful photographs that illustrate the glory of our nation as well. David and I will share more details at the end of my message today, but right now let's concentrate fully on our subject at hand. I've titled today's presentation, Last Days Living. From an eschatological standpoint, the world is certainly closer, at least by 2,000 years, to the end of time than when Jesus and the New Testament writers first started teaching about the end of the ages. There are no outstanding prophecies that have to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church can occur. Well, how should we live in light of the coming end? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This single verse provides us with three admonitions for how to live in the last days. First of all, Paul says that in light of the last days, we need to be hopeful. Be hopeful. Secondly, he says, be courageous. He uses the word here, immovable. I want you to be immovable. You know, we live in a, an age where compromise is celebrated. Well, that's okay in the political world. In the political world, compromise is usually necessary. 
But compromise is lethal in the spiritual world. I believe it's only a matter of time until believers begin to suffer persecution for their faith in our country. I'm not saying overnight Christians are going to start being executed in America. Uh, History reveals that persecution comes much more gradually in cultures. I believe a continuing reinterpretation of the First Amendment of the Constitution will give our government sufficient authority to attack believers who defend the rights of the unborn, who oppose same-sex marriages, who exhibit their faith in the public square, and who insist that Jesus Christ provides the only way of salvation. Now, how should we respond, not if that happens, but when that happens? I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 5 for just a moment. And in Acts 5, verses 28 to 29, Luke records this account. He said, the high priest said, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. That is the name of Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. Peter's response to these governing officials, I think, gives us three important insights about how we need to react when we are threatened with persecution for our convictions. Number one, pick your battles carefully. Now, Peter didn't have to call a prayer meeting when the high priest said this to say to fellow disciples, let's decide whether or not we're going to keep preaching the gospel. Jesus had already given the orders. In Acts 1.8, he said, you shall be my witnesses. He didn't have any choice but to obey Christ. Similarly, when we're ordered to keep silent about our faith in Jesus Christ, we have no choice but to disobey governing authorities. But there are some times that we do have a choice. Not every government law that carries religious overtones should be disobeyed. For example, Christians who refuse to pay their income taxes because they don't like the way the money's being used to support abortions. Or people who choose to uh, disobey trespassing laws when engaging in or, or abortion protests shouldn't claim that they're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Instead, they're being punished for failing to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And that's why I say when you decide to engage in civil disobedience, make sure if you're going to defy human authority that you base your decision on clear biblical commands or principles. So pick your battles carefully. Secondly, demonstrate respect when you disobey. Demonstrate respect. You see this in Peter. You know, when the Jewish authorities said to him, do not preach Christ any longer, He didn't say, I'm not going to listen to you bunch of Christ killers. You can go jump in the Lake of Galilee. He didn't respond that way. Instead, he said politely but firmly, we must obey God rather than men. You know, Peter was simply emulating the response of Jesus himself. In 1 Peter 2, 23, Peter said, And while being reviled, Jesus did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. In these last days, I think Christians are going to be challenged to courageously stand against those who deliberately and sometimes just innocently attempt to abrogate our constitutional rights. But in doing so, in pushing back against these people who are trying to curtail our rights, it's important that we not act like jerks in the process. Be respectful of the governing authorities. Years ago, when my oldest daughter, uh, Julia, was in grade school, she came home one day from school and told me about a classmate of hers who had been stopped by a school official for passing out water bottles that had the verse John 4, 4 on them that said, whoever drinks of the water I give shall never thirst. 
this little girl was passing out those water bottles as an attempt to be a witness for Christ, and the school official stopped her from doing so. So Julia came home from school horrified by that, and she said, Dad, can he do that? And I said, well, no, he really can't do that. I said, the First Amendment guarantees everyone, including children, the right of freedom of religious expression. And so I decided that for the sake of the gospel, as well as trying to teach my daughter to stand up for the truth, I needed to intervene in the situation. So I called my friend Kelly Shackelford at Liberty uh, Institute to get the legal rulings on cases like that to make sure I was armed with the correct information. And then I called that school official. And I said, first of all, how much I appreciated all that he had done for my two daughters in that school. And secondly, I said, I realize you're a Christian, and sometimes that puts you in a very difficult spot in uh, uh, sometimes separating your convictions from what you feel like your responsibilities. But then I said, you know, you may not be aware that there have already been some court cases about this issue and that uh, children's right to pass out literature has been upheld. And you know what his response was? He was so gracious. He said, thank you very much for sharing that with me. Said, I didn't have that information. Now, you know, I realize that won't go down as one of the great legal victories in history. Uh, I understand that. But you know, in one small corner of West Texas, a little girl's constitutional rights were preserved. Her efforts to spread the gospel went unfettered. And... And the attempt to marginalize her rights were pushed back just a little bit. You know, too many Christians equate politeness with inaction and activism with rudeness. And the result is we have given up far too much territory to the enemy by our polite silence. We need to be willing to stand up and push back against those who would try to marginalize Christianity. And number three, be prepared to suffer the consequences for disobedience. You know, I'm amazed that when Christians boldly stand up for their convictions, they're surprised when they get punished for their actions. Listen, just because you display courage doesn't exempt you from persecution. It probably guarantees it. Now think about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He penned his famous letter from Birmingham jail while being incarcerated for nonviolent protest against segregationist policies by downtown retailers. Listen, believers rarely are spared from having to suffer consequences for disobeying civil authority. I mean, think about it. Daniel did have to spend a night in the lion's den. Jesus Christ was executed because he refused to give in to the demands that he deny his Messiahship. And what happened to Peter and the apostles when they boldly said, we must obey God rather than man? Look at verses 40 to 41 of Acts 5. And so they flogged the apostles, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. And so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name. If you indeed have to suffer persecution for standing up for your beliefs, don't whine about it, don't cry about it. Do what Peter did and count it a joy to suffer in the name of Christ. Paul said in these last days, we are to be hopeful, we're to be courageous. Thirdly, we need to be productive. Notice how he closes this three-point admonition. He says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. What Paul is saying is the knowledge that either Christ is coming or you are going ought to cause you to turn on the afterburners in your work for God. 
You ought to be exceeding, going over the boundaries of what is required just out of your excitement of what awaits you in the future. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but my most productive work day in the whole year is the day before I leave on vacation. You know, the knowledge that there is something great that awaits me gives me the energy to work extra hard. And that's what Paul is saying here. The fact that we know that either Christ is coming or we're leaving ought to cause us to abound in the work of the Lord. And that means we live in three specific ways. Write down these words. First of all, that means we engage in offensive living. Offensive living. Uh, I used to live on the border between Texas and Oklahoma. That border was separated by the Red River. The term river is an overgenerous term. Uh, it's not a river. It's more like a creek bed. Or sometimes if it rains, a swamp. But all the many times I drove over the border to Oklahoma, I don't ever remember having to get out of my car and go to higher ground because that river was overflowing its banks. It just never happened. But you've seen cases like the Mississippi River where that has happened, where the river goes on the offensive and it starts chasing people, causing them to abandon their home and their cars. Well, that's the picture here. God wants us as Christians not to be on the defensive But we are to be on the offensive. Do you remember Jesus' words about the church in the days preceding his return? He said in Matthew 16, verse 18, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I've said this before, but most Christians misinterpret that verse. They think this is a picture of the church behind the gates trying to survive Satan's battering ram that's trying to overtake us. That's not what the verse is saying. It's not the church that's behind the gates. It's the gates of Hades. It is Satan and his minions behind that gate who are trying to survive the attack of the church. We're the ones on the offensive. Just as an overflowing river affects everything in its path, followers of Christ are to proactively put Satan and his minions on the run. We're to live offensively, offensive living. Secondly, continuous living. Notice what Paul says, we are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Underline that word, always. Do you know what the single greatest roadblock to fulfilling this command is? It is a word that is worshipped in our culture. It's the word retirement. Someone described retirement this way. Since I retired from life's competition, each day is filled with complete repetition. I get up each morning and dust off my wits, go pick up the paper and read the old bits. If my name isn't there, I know I'm not dead, so I get a good breakfast and go back to bed. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's the way too many people live. In his book, This One Thing I Do, Franklin Graham relates the story of Charles McCoy, who pastored a Baptist church in Oyster Bay, New York. At the age of 72, McCoy's denomination required that he retire. You know, using that ridiculous policy, Moses would have been disqualified from being the leader of the Exodus because he was age 80 when he did that. What a stupid policy. But anyway, McCoy was forced to retire. He was understandably depressed. He said, I just lay on my bed thinking that my life's over and I really haven't done anything yet. I've been a pastor of this church for so many years, and nobody really wants me much. What have I done for Christ, he wondered. The following week, he met a pastor from India and impulsively asked him to preach in his church. 
After the service, the Indian pastor invited McCoy to come to preach for him in India. McCoy explained that he was being forced to retire because of his age and was planning to move to a retirement home in Florida. However, this Indian pastor explained that in his country, men with white hair were respected. McCoy prayed about it and finally accepted the invitation. He sold or gave away most of his belongings except for those that would fit into a trunk. He booked a one-way ticket to India, never having traveled out of the United States before. Upon his arrival in Bombay, McCoy discovered that his trunk containing his belongings had been lost. All he had were the clothes he was wearing, his passport, wallet, and the address of some missionaries in Bombay he had clipped from a magazine. He boarded a bus to visit the missionaries. While on the bus, both his wallet and passport were stolen. When he finally arrived at the missionaries' home, they had no idea who he was. Furthermore, McCoy discovered that the Indian pastor who had invited him was back in the United States and had no plans to ever return to India. But McCoy believed God had led him to India for a reason. He refused to give up. He decided to make an appointment to see the mayor of Bombay. Miraculously, the mayor granted him an appointment. And upon seeing his business card listing his various degrees, invited McCoy to preach to some of Bombay's highest officials. That preaching assignment began a new 16-year ministry for Charles McCoy that began at age 72. Before he died at age 88, McCoy traveled the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, never having more than enough money in his pocket to get him to the next destination. Charles McCoy died in a hotel room in Calcutta one afternoon as he prepared to preach that evening. Today, there is a church in Calcutta and a growing group of Christians in Hong Kong because this servant of God refused to retire and instead chose to always abound in the work of the Lord. Be productive, the Bible says. And finally, in addition to productive living, strategic living. Write that down, strategic living. That's what it means to abound in the work of the Lord You know, the writer Randy Alcorn many times invites his audience to take a sheet of paper and in the middle of the piece of paper to put a dot and then to draw a line from that dot to the end of the page. He says that dot represents the 70 or 80 years God gives us here on earth. The line represents eternity. Unfortunately, most people center on those 70 or 80 years rather than ever thinking about eternity. Randy writes, right now we're living in that dot. But what are we living for? The person with perspective lives for the line. The person who lives for the dot lives for treasures on earth that end up in junkyards. The person who lives for the line lives for treasures in heaven that will never end. You know, contrary to what a lot of people believe, the Apostle Paul was not a sadomasochist. Now, the reason he willingly submitted himself to harsh punishment because he was living for the line and not for the dot. Listen to his words in 2 Timothy verses, chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to those who have loved his appearing. 
Paul didn't say, I'm investing myself in the Lord's work, not expecting anything in return. He said, I'm doing this because there's something that is awaiting me, a crown in heaven which the Lord will award to me. He makes the same allusion in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Notice how he closes this verse. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. He says to us Christians, there's something for you when you abound in the work of the Lord. God's not asking you to overexert yourself to work overtime for no pay. He is saying there is a reward coming for those who invest their lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the problem with most of our investments is we don't have a long enough time horizon. We invest for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and we invest in all the wrong things. We invest in things that can either be stolen or lost or forgotten or worn out or left behind. No wonder our investments don't do any better. But the wise person is one who invests in those things which will never be lost, stolen, forgotten, worn out, or left behind. Think the kingdom of God. The truth is, we will be alive for the next 20 years, 200 years, 2,000 years, 2 trillion years. And God asks you and invites me to invest in His kingdom right now. He invites us to invest in a reward, as Peter says, that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. As you find yourself in the twilight of earth's existence, or perhaps your own existence, how are you responding to these last days? Are you allowing the cable news pundits to paralyze you with fear? Are you depending on some politician or some political movement to reverse the downward spiral of this country? Or are you simply just trying to ignore all the chaos and trying to take care of yourself and your family until the end comes? God has called you to a greater purpose than simply trying to eke out a living for yourself and trying to handle all of the problems that life throws at you. He has a bigger purpose for your life. God has invited you. He has enlisted you to be a part of an offensive force. An offensive force that is willing to stand up and push back against evil in our culture. A force that is willing to stand up and illuminate the world with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we see the twilight turn to darkness in our world, the opportunity, the need to do both has never been greater. You know, a lot of people are frustrated right now, and millions of people feel powerless. But today, you can do something tangible and powerful for the cause of the gospel. Today, I'm actively recruiting your personal engagement, and here's why. As you're able to give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we're enabled to share these daily programs on radio stations that reach from Florida to Washington from California to Maine, and countless communities in between. Your gifts are truly making a difference because people are finding a fresh ray of hope. I'm thinking of Dale from Tennessee, who told me that even though he grew up in the church, he never truly understood what it means to become a Christian. He wrote, Through Pathway to Victory, I finally, truly accepted the Lord into my life and decided to live my life for the Lord. 
If you're among those who give generously to Pathway to Victory, you played a significant role in Dale's story. Your gifts truly make a difference. And right now, we're saying thank you for your gift by sending two exclusive resources that you won't find anywhere other than through Pathway to Victory. The first is a beautiful gift book of scenic photographs that complement inspirational stories about our nation's founding fathers. I've called this book, America is a Christian Nation. And as a bonus, the second resource is a DVD that contains the message I gave called America is a Christian Nation. Both of these resources frame the true story that America was founded primarily by Christians who did intend to build a Christian nation. So please, while there's still time, get in touch with us today. Now, here's David to explain how to do that. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll send you a copy of Dr. Jeffress's brand new book, America is a Christian Nation. You'll get that along with the powerful companion message on DVD. Give a gift and request these resources when you call 866-999-2965 or online, go to ptv.org. And when your gift is $125 or more, you'll not only receive the book and DVD, but also our current teaching series called America and the Bible. You'll get both the CD and DVD. Plus, we'll also send you the popular book by Dr. Jeffress called Praying for America. Again, call 866-999-2965 or online, simply go to ptv.org. You could write to us if you'd like. Here's the address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Will Christians in America face persecution? Dr. Jeffress addresses this relevant subject next time. It's a message called Christians in the Crosshairs. Hear it Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.